few moments, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper. We're going to be observing uh, communion. And here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, we encourage all members of the body of Christ, all believers, all Christians, uh, to participate uh, in, in this as we uh, strive to show the Lord's death until he comes. It's exactly what God's Word tells us is the reason behind the, uh, us observing the Lord's Supper. Actually, there's two reasons, and we're going to be getting into those this morning uh, as to why we observe uh, the Lord's Supper. But as we do so, we invite every believer to participate. You may say, well, I'm not a member of your church. You're a member of the church. You're a member of the body of Christ. And because of that, we invite you to uh, show the Lord's death until he comes right along with us. Uh, observing the Lord's Supper, I think, is one of the most important uh, aspects of worship that when it's, when it's served, when it's, when it's done, that a believer uh, can do. It's a time when the body of Christ comes together uh, in order to focus on that body that was brutally broken, the blood that was spilled out, the price that was paid for our, our redemption. God's Word tells us that the reason we observe the Lord's Supper is for a memorial. Uh, we do show the Lord's death until He comes. Uh, uh, before we worship by observing the Lord's Supper, and it is an aspect of worship. It's, to me, it's just as much a part of, of this worship service today as the preaching, uh, as the offering, and, and I encourage our people to look at, at the, the offering as an aspect of your worship. Uh, as, a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it's an important aspect of, of worship as we give uh, the Lord uh, uh, the, the offerings that, that we, we bring to Him. Uh, as we come together, uh, whether it be the singing as part of our worship, the, the offering as part of our worship, the preaching as part of our worship, uh, definitely this morning, the Lord's Supper is part of, our, part of our worship. Now, I can tell you this. God's Word does not give us uh, detailed uh, information or detailed instructions as to how often. It's just as often as you do this, uh, not come together, but as often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death until He comes. And so uh, I know many churches, they do it every Sunday. Uh, God's Word doesn't tell us we need to do it in that fashion. Uh, there are no instructions on how it's to be performed. Uh, it's just that in our, in our hearts and in our minds is when we come together, what we're doing with the different elements, with the, the, the cracker that represents the body, with the juice that represents the blood, we are to remember what Christ Jesus endured on Calvary's cross on our behalf. We do it together as a congregation, as members of the body of Christ. We're going to get into that in a little bit more detail in just a second. But it's also an individual thing as you are remembering that price that was paid for your redemption. It is a serious, uh, important aspect of our worship service uh, to, today. It is to exalt the Savior. It is to worship Him. It's to acknowledge that He is Lord as we come together to acknowledge what he did on our behalf. I'll tell you this about the Lord's Supper and communion as we observe it here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. 
the intent is not to make you feel more spiritual. It's not to make you feel more to make you feel more spiritual. Uh, it is not. It is not a sacrament. Uh, I know a lot of churches talk about sacraments. I know many churches, uh, I think the Catholic Church has like nine sacraments. Uh, uh, Baptist Church has two. They talk about uh, baptism as a sacrament and the Lord's Supper as a sacrament. Nothing could be further from the truth, folks. You need to understand, and, and that's why, that, actually that repulsed me, that people think that we, we're to have sacraments in the church. A sacrament is a it's an act that, that people observe in order to make God more gracious toward them. That's, what it, that's the definition of a sacrament. A sacrament is something that, that you do to make God more satisfied with you. A sacrament is something that, that a lot of churches say that, that we, we go through, that we experience in order to make God more gracious toward you. Uh, that it's God, you do it, you get more grace. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth according to Scripture. God is gracious to the full extent that He loves you through His Son. God's, God already loves you with a perfect love. There is nothing you can do that's going to make God love you anymore. So we don't observe sacraments, but we do observe remembering what Christ went through on our behalf and basically because we're told to do it and this is not something to do that that's going to make the body of Christ uh, more spiritual make you more spiritual we don't do it as a sacrament we do it as a memorial before the Lord uh, turn with me to first Corinthians this morning as we get started turn with me to first Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us some real insight on why during this present dispensation of grace we are to observe the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 provides us with some insight into why we share this communion. Verse 16 of chapter 10. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. See, the reason we observe the Lord's Supper is to emphasize the unity of the body of Christ, and, and the word communion there is the same word for fellowship uh, that's, uh, that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 9, I think. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The same, that word communion, the word fellowship is the same. Koinonia. And we come together, the cup of the blessing, the, what, what we're about to do, it's, it is the fellowship around the body of Christ. It is fellowship around the, the blood of Christ, remembering that body that was brutally beaten, that blood that was uh, shed on, on Calvary's cross. It's not 
the body of Christ. It's not the blood of Christ, right? We're all clear on that, right? It's a memorial. But it is to make you remember. It's to make you think of what all the Lord Jesus went through on your behalf in order to make you that new creation, in order to make in order to reconcile you to himself. And to me, that is something worthy of, of observing. So again, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the fellowship of the blood of Christ or the communion? The bread which we break is not the communion or the fellowship of the body of Christ, for we being many are one bread and one body. And that's the thing that we're going to stress this morning is that memorial, what Christ went through, and the fact that we are members of the body of Christ. And by observing the Lord's Supper, you are emphasizing that unity of the body of Christ and the importance of, of serving together and worshiping together the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're about to do symbolizes that body that was beaten and that precious blood that was shed. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 24 and verse 25. Talk about the importance of the blood of Christ. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. What we're doing is we're celebrating, we're observing, we're fellowshipping around the fact that Christ's blood was shed on my behalf, on your behalf, and it is that which guarantees our salvation, that reconciliation through the one and only one whose blood was qualified through the virgin birth, and we're going to be talking about that over the next couple of Sundays as we celebrate the Lord's, the Lord's birth, and Him being the Son of God, being the Son of Man, and how absolutely necessary His blood that flowed through His veins, how necessary it was in order to purchase our redemption. I might love you to death, and I might be willing to give my life for you, I might be willing to take your place for a crime you've committed, but my blood's not going to do you any good. Me shedding my blood for you is not going to do you a bit of good. Only the blood of Christ, and that's the emphasis that we're going to talk about here in the next couple of weeks as we talk about the virgin birth. Look at uh, Romans chapter 5. Verse 9, Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, being declared righteous by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Why wouldn't we want to observe the Lord's Supper? Why wouldn't we want to do this as a memorial? Why wouldn't we want to 
show the Lord's death until he comes and make this an integral, worshipful part of our service. Not just something we get through. Not something you just, you pop it in your mouth, you swallow, and but concentrate, meditate in a worshipful attitude, thinking of all that Christ has done on our behalf. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Tim's faster than I am. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In whom we have redemption, reconciliation, reconnection through God the Father, through his blood. Apart from his blood, there is no connection. I know that churches like ours and and other fundamental Bible-believing churches have been uh, criticized uh, vehemently at times because we talk about the blood. Well, folks, we'll always talk about the blood. We'll always emphasize the blood. Well, that is just so icky. You've heard people say that. That is just, that's disturbing. Folks, let me tell you. It's only through the blood of Christ. It's the preaching of the cross and what was accomplished there that we can claim to be be saved. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, only if you haven't sinned. The only, if you haven't sinned, that verse means nothing to you, right? Yeah, if if you've not sinned, you you can just close your eyes to that one. Or, or this one. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. That at that time, you were without Christ. Talking to, by talking to the Gentiles here, those Gentiles in Ephesus. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by your good works and because you're such a sweet person. Is that what it says? You are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of, of two one new man so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Why in the world wouldn't the body that has been formed because of this sacrifice, because of this shed blood, not joyously come together in order to remember what Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross for our sin? Worthy, worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, And again, let me emphasize, it's the virgin birth. 
It's the virgin birth that made it possible. For without the virgin birth, or really the, uh, the fact that he was virgin conceived, there would be, he would not be God. His blood would be just as tainted as mine is, as yours is. But because of that virgin birth, we can joyfully know that his blood is special, that it's his blood shed that has the ability to do all that God the Father wanted it to do. As a matter of fact, let's, let's turn to, I wasn't going to do this, but let's do it. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Uh, and I'll tell you the reason I, I thought, no, I'm not going to read it this time. It's because it's hard to read this without tearing up. It's hard to read this without just going, oh, Lord, you're more, more than wonderful, more than gracious. But it's through his shed blood that Revelation chapter 5 can be in this book. And I read this. I want you to understand that the authority that the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, has the worthiness to take that book from God the Father and open those seals in order to get the final days happening is because of what we're observing today, what we're remembering, the Lord's death until he comes. Revelation chapter 5, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Can't proceed, could not proceed unless someone was found worthy to open this book. And by opening the seals, the rest of all this behind it transpires. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came, and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. 
You're worthy to do it, Lord. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, I just get so excited thinking about this. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, what causes this to be able to fill heaven with that event is that blood that dripped, that blood that flowed, that blood that was shed because He is worthy. It is memorial of what Christ did for us. The debt that was, that was paid. Now this morning, I'm not going to really go into a description of the brutality and the horror of the crucifixion of Christ. I think we've been through that so many times just to say that the horror of it was beyond description. Matthew 27 through 20, uh, 26 and following, it details the crucifixion and what our Lord suffered from the beating to the scourging to the mocking to being spit upon, uh, the, the crucifixion, how, how horrible it was. It, it should grieve our spirits when we, we read through that knowing that what he was doing is he was taking your place, he was taking my place. Right from the very beginning, he was taking, taking Barabbas' place. They had two people, and they were going to release somebody. Who do you want me to release, basically? This Jesus that hasn't done anything, or this Barabbas who is a murderer? And the, the price of murdering someone was crucifixion. It was to be, that person was to be cursed. So right from the very beginning, he took Barabbas' place, really my place, your place, as he hung there. God's word is so clear that the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. The iniquity of us all. Hey, just my iniquity would have been quite a bit. But the iniquity of us all, every one of you, and not just those of us sitting in this church, but those sitting in every church on this globe and who've down through history, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. And he became sin for us, the full payment sin was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The undiluted wrath of God for my sin was taken upon himself by the Lord Jesus. We all agree that crucifixion was brutal, right? We agree that the crucifixion and what he endured was beyond the pale. But you know what I find fascinating? Is what took place right before his betrayal, right before the crucifixion. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. 
Because Paul tells us what took place there. I mean, you can go to Matthew, and it also tells you what took place there, but we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians for a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Christ knew he was about to be betrayed. He knew what he was about to have to suffer. He knew what was coming. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and what did he do? Verse 24, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Well, verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. When he'd given thanks? Knowing what was coming, he was thankful? N- given, I, I, to me, that is just mind-boggling. How do, you, how do you say the blessing on something? How do you thank God for something? Knowing, and he knew because he was God, he knew what was coming. And yet, knowing what was about to happen, and knowing what that Last Supper indicated, he still, with a grateful heart, he still gave thanks as he broke it. That's the kind of God that we serve. Knew, knowing he was about to be, tra- be betrayed, he knew what was ahead of him. You say, well, he was God. Yeah, but he was also the Son of Man. He also understood the pain because he created us. He understood the pain that he was about to endure. He understood the torment he was about to go through. Had the same emotions, same fears, the same everything that any of us would have gone through. He would be going through. Yet when he had his people there together, when he gave thanks. He gave thanks for the bread that symbolizes that his body is about to be brutally battered and beaten. I read that and I go, what a Savior. What a Savior. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, tells us that he is that example. Oh, what an example he is. 1 Peter 221. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And talking to talking about the apostles and those kingdom believers there, but that was still an example. He was that example of what our attitude needs to be. When he had given thanks, he broke it, knowing what he was going to be suffered. So as the bread was served, so as the bread is going to be served in a second, we need to remember that his body, and that we are a part of that body now. We as members of the body, we're part of that body. And so it's remembering that. 
that we do show the Lord's death till he comes. Isaiah 54, uh, Isaiah 52, 14 tells us that his body was so beaten, it was so brutalized, his visage was so marred more than any other sons of men. His visage was so marred more than any man. Wow. That's incredible when I read that. And he knew that was coming. He knew that was in store. Yet he still gave thanks. What a Savior. So let us remember the sacrifice that our Savior made on our behalf. And because we're told, as often as you do this, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So that's what we're about to do. We're going to show the Lord's death. We're going to remember what he did for the body of Christ corporately I encourage you to remember what he did for you individually. But there's another reason, another reason. First Corinthians 12, verse 25, 27. First Corinthians 12, 25 and 27. Because not only when we do observe the Lord's Supper do we show the Lord's death, But what we do is we demonstrate the unity of the body of Christ. We are recognizing that we're members of the body of Christ. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 12. That there should be no schism or no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That's a healthy church, folks. And that's where the church should be. For whether that there should be no schism, for whether that one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. God's word tells us there should be no division, there should be no schism. And what Paul is emphasizing here in 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 17. Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. And when you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, uh, for in eating everyone takes 
before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this place? Or shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Then he says, for I received of the Lord. The whole point here is that through church history, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about the love feast that the early church used to do when they come together. But they would have these love feasts. They'd have these love suppers, these love dinners. I think we call them potluck nowadays. But they would all come together and they would bring different things and they would share and they would lay it out. And there got to be divisions because they got to the point where, well, this is ours over here. And, well, this is our, this is my family's here and you hands off. But they begin with it all. They lay it out like we do, which is pretty special. That means I, got, I get to sample all your cooking. And it's, it's good. And these love feasts would come and, and they would spread everything, but there were those that were affluent and there were those who, who uh, would fared more, uh, better off and fared better. And so there got to be divisiveness. There got to be fightings and there got to be arguing. And Paul said, that's not the reason you come together. That when you come together, it's the Lord's Supper. It's communion. This is what you do. He said it's different. These love feasts, that's different. You go ahead and have your potlucks. And you enjoy that fellowship. But when you do this, what you're doing is you're demonstrating the absolute unity of the body of Christ. And let there be no schisms. Let there be no division in the body of Christ. You know, I just... I. I get so tired of believers who love to argue with fence posts. And maybe I'm alone in this. And it happens weekly where I'll get a phone call or I'll get a text or I'll have some that somebody wants to argue. Now, and I don't, I don't, I don't mind debating theology. I love it. But you get tired after a while of believers who just want to argue for the sake of arguing to prove you're wrong. Their ego is as big as this building. And they just love to to catch you on a point or catch you on something or straighten you out on something. And I love to be straightened out. I, I love to search the scriptures and I love for someone to come in love and consideration and, and say, hey, did you ever consider this? And you go, oh, wow, that's how you learn, right? That's how you learn. And I appreciate those people. But what I found is there are people that love to divide. And, and it kind of reminds me of the story of two guys sitting down on a park bench and they're feeding pigeons and throwing everything, you know, the bread out to the pigeons. And one guy said, oh, it's a beautiful, sunny day. I thank God for this day. And the guy said, you're a believer? He said, yeah, I am. He said, I'm a believer. He said, wow, that's neat. And fist pumped, yeah, I guess. My, my story they do. And he says, I, you know, I, I go to... Uh, St. Louis Bible Fellowship. You do. Well, I, I, I just started going to this. I'm not picking on anybody here. Uh, 
I, I, I go to St. Louis Bible Fellowship. Wow. So you understand the Word of God rightly divided? I do. You understand Paul's revelation? I understand Paul's revelation. You understand the I understand that mystery. And you believe that the 12 are out of the body? No. I don't believe the 12 are out of the body. I believe the 12 are in the body. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not pre-trial. I'm po- you're not pre- you're not pre- And they, the division that comes from things that should not divide us, but it happens constantly. But it shouldn't happen when we do this, folks. This is to show the unity of the body of Christ. That as believers who understand that book, we are acknowledging the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the only one whose blood could cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we partake now, let's make sure we remember the Lord's death because we do show His death until He comes. We do demonstrate the unity of the body of Christ. Let's pray. And as we pray, if the elders would start this way down, it would be great. Father, we come before you and how thankful we are for that plan of salvation that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Father, how thankful we are for that salvation that causes us to stand perfect in Christ before you. Father, we acknowledge that death. We acknowledge that burial. We acknowledge that resurrection. We acknowledge that good news that we are to declare to a world that's so desperate to hear the truth. Now, Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to remember that death. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to demonstrate the unity of this local body. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise and glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.